0: Pinned for so long and was crushing my chest. I could only take very shallow breaths, and I sort of was losing the ability to breathe properly. I, I had punctured lungs and broken ribs and different things, and I would just sort of try to conserve my breaths and just didn't move because I wanted to sort of preserve my oxygen intake as much as I could, you know. This is an old patient with the child. The there's a on to the of people reacting. Still
1: breathing okay at the moment. Is it a big property? Our blood pressure is not coming up. Very understood. Thank you. Hi, my name is Lana Mitchell from the Royal Flying Doctor Service. This is a podcast about life in the bush, mateship, courage, and the role that the Royal Flying Doctor Service plays in serving rural and remote communities. This is the Flying Doctor Podcast.
2: My name is Kira Lee Dargan from the Royal Flying Doctor Service. And I'm an Aboriginal woman of the Rajri Nation. This podcast has been recorded on Ngunnawal land and is being broadcast across all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We at the Royal Flying Doctor Service want to acknowledge elders, past and present. The RFDS recognises that this is First Peoples land and always will be.
1: This podcast interview is being released in October, which is the month for the Royal Flying Doctor Service Oceans to Outback Challenge where people pledge to walk, run, or ride to fundraise for The Flying Doctor. And my guests in this episode are one of the 6,000 supporters currently doing this challenge. Sally works for St John's Ambulance in Darwin, and she's on the triple zero response call line, taking all the calls as they come in, and staying on the line until the ambulance is there on location. But this story is actually about Sally's 21-year-old son, Mac, and I have them both here with me now. Hello to both of you. Hello. Hi, Lana. Sally, would you mind first just telling me what does a regular workday look like for you?
2: It's probably not one regular workday um, in communications with St John Ambulance. Um, we do 12-hour shifts. I do 5am to 5pm and then the other way around for night shift. Um, yeah, it's, it's um, a very rewarding job. And... Um, yeah, some days are, are longer than others, and um, yeah, I love it. Have you been doing it
1: a long time? A little over three years I've been. Uh, we've called an EMD, so Emergency Medical Dispatcher. I'm lucky. My job, I don't have to. I get to talk about things that have happened, but I'm not the person that's on the other end of the phone receiving the call. Do you find that stressful at all?
2: Uh, no, I don't find it stressful. Um, some some calls are definitely, obviously, a lot more challenging than others, but I think right from the beginning we're taught you know it's someone else's emergency as much as you can empathize which obviously you do I don't think you could do our job um, unless you had that quality and um, we certainly uh, stay very professional and you know we're helping them through ultimately is you know the worst day of their life. You become that calming influence yeah. on the
1: other end of the phone. Yeah,
2: yeah. it's our role to, to help them through that that emergency um, and to provide that that care um, and that
1: instruction um, and rights. Hmm, mm, I can understand why that's so rewarding. Yeah, it is. G'day, Mac. We'll come over to you. Thanks for coming to chat with us today. Uh-huh. Now, you're the oldest son of Sally and Ben, is that right?
0: Yeah, I'm the oldest of four kids. I'm 21 and then my sister, Victoria, is 19. My sister, Elizabeth, is 16 and my brother, Ewan, is 13.
1: Now, you have been working doing mustering. Is that something that you've just always had a passion for or how did you end up out on stations and doing the work that you've been doing?
0: My family on Dad's side particularly has a bit of an agricultural background and, I don't know, just always was interested in it and one day bit the bullet and said I didn't want to do my apprenticeship anymore and headed for the bush.
1: Was it um, the horses or the bikes or the cattle or the, the landscapes or the remoteness? What is it that you love about it?
0: It is definitely horse and cattle work. interests me a lot. I just yeah, enjoy the land. I love being on the land. I get a bit sick of being in town after a while.
1: Have you developed a huge number of um, of social connections and networks as a result of, of doing the jackaroo type of work? Do you end up with a massive network of friends all over the place?
0: Definitely you meet a lot of people and get to travel around a fair bit and everybody ends up becoming mates and... It's what I like, something mm-hmm. I like about the bush is that I could call up any number of people and say, hey, <laughs> you got a job for me and most yeah. of them want help me out, you know.
1: Now, you were working at Fitzroy Crossing. When was this?
0: Uh, this was in June last year, so June 2021.
1: You were travelling. Uh, I understand that you and Josh, um, a colleague, were, were travelling. Where were you heading to or, or coming back from?
0: We'd just been in town on a day off. And had gone in just to have lunch and buy some uh, supplies and that sort of thing. And we were on our way back to the homestead. We had to drive about 60Ks out of town. And then that was all on bitumen and then turn onto the dirt road. It's a pretty atrocious dirt road.
1: How long think. is that road to get out to the station?
0: I'd say between 50 and 80 kilometres.
1: Could you describe the landscape for me, Mac? Like, what does it look like for anybody that hasn't been out to this remote part of Western Australia? What does it look like?
0: Yeah, that sort of northern central part of Western Australia is very. It seems very hilly when you're on the ground, but as soon as you're in the air, it's very flat. There's not a lot of massive trees or foresty sort of area. A lot of grasslands and ant mounds and beautiful sunsets over long horizons. It's you, we were sort of we were sort of surrounded by mountains the whole time. It's a good looking place.
1: <laughs> yeah. What were you and Josh driving?
0: Oh, we're in my 75 series Land Cruiser.
1: So what happened?
0: So we're on our way home from lunch and buying a few things. It was right on sunset and I had the sun on my right shoulder and I'm not terribly sure exactly how it happened. I hit my head quite hard and don't really remember. It's all very vague, but I do remember sort of feeling the back end of my car slide out. We'd gone off the side of the road to avoid corrugations and like we'd gone down into a table drain to avoid corrugations and bulldust and we're coming around a right-hand bend and as I've come back up onto the road, I've lost control, gone about 80 or 90 kilometres an hour and we rolled the car an unknown amount of times and, yeah, I think I got knocked out for about between 10 and 30 seconds and when I woke up, I was underneath the vehicle with my knee pinned to my chest, my right knee pinned to my chest, and my left leg, the car was upside down, and my left leg was out of the, the footwell on the driver's side. The roof had come off, and I was caught between where the roof and the door join, and my knee was out of the was out of the window sort of part, if that makes sense.
1: Oh my gosh! So, what did you do? Did you, where was Josh?
0: Josh had been ejected from the car. He was about 10 metres from where I was laying under the vehicle. He hit his head quite badly and was knocked out initially. Yeah, he he didn't make a lot of noise. I tried to call out to him once I woke up and uh, he did respond somewhat but he wasn't in any way conscious and he doesn't recall any of it as far as I know.
1: And you couldn't see him? You could hear him but you couldn't see him?
0: Yeah, I could hear him. I, I sort of had a bit of an idea where he was. I knew he was on the other side of the car to me. But no, I couldn't. I couldn't see him at all. And it start. It was getting very dark. And I had um the fuel cap. I had an aftermarket secondary fuel tank in the car, and right. the fuel cap had come off during the roll, and all the diesel had spilled all over my face. So I had sort of burning eyes and a bit of different things. I didn't really. I wasn't making a lot of things out at the time.
1: Holy moly! So you are pinned underneath this car. You're in this really remote area. You can hear Josh but you can't get a response. How long were you in this position? Like-
0: we were there for, oh, I, I can't remember the exact amount of time. and It's sort of hard to figure out because we don't know exactly when we crashed. But we were on our own for about between three and four hours. Then once we were found... It was about another hour and a half until emergency services got there.
1: Oh, my gosh. So for an hour and a half or two hours, you were just lying there. What was going through your head, Mac? I mean, holy moly. I
0: think it was about three hours that I was there on my own and it was just, I don't know, a bit worried about dying for a while at the start. But then after I sort of pulled myself together, I was like, no, I'm not dying here today. It's not going to happen. And um, I really tried to get myself out of the car, but obviously the whole weight was on top of me. I tried viciously punching my legs to try and get them out of the places they were pinned, but the vehicle was sort of across my chest and on top of my legs and all over me, so there wasn't really much chance of getting out on my own. But, yeah, I tried looking for my phone. Um, I tried to figure out exactly where I was and look around as much as I could but there wasn't much hope of getting out on my own. So just sort of pray for someone to show up.
1: As I mentioned earlier, this podcast has been made possible with the support of Isuzu Ute Australia. Having reliable vehicles is imperative in the harsh Australian outback. And Isuzu have provided D-Max Utes and MUX SUVs to pull seven large RFDS flight simulators as they engage in school, community and field day activities for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. These simulators are full-size planes, minus the wings, and the Izuzu D-MAX and MUX vehicles are a perfect match for the long-distance heavy towing demands of these RFDS simulators right across Australia. So keep an eye out for them as they travel around each state, and we would love to see photos and locations on our Flying Doctor Podcast community Facebook page when you see them. You must be a hell of a strong kid, I gotta say. Oh my gosh, if <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like if I found myself in that circumstance, I think I'd fall apart. And and you're sort of like, okay, I'm gonna get out of this somehow.
0: I definitely did fall apart, but not <laughs> No, while I was under the car I think I was quite full of adrenaline but um towards the end of it before my boss showed up before my boss found us I'd been pinned for so long and was crushing my chest that I couldn't breathe properly I was having to like a, I could only take very shallow breaths and when my boss wasn't too far away I sort of was losing the ability to breathe properly I, I had punctured lungs and broken ribs and different things, and I will just sort of try to conserve my breaths and just didn't move because I wanted to sort of preserve my oxygen intake as much as I could, you know.
1: Okay. So now, Sally, you <laughs> meanwhile were in Darwin, and I presume you had no idea that anything had happened because obviously nobody had found Mac and Josh. So you are totally unaware. Would that be right?
2: Yeah, absolutely, Lana. Um, ben and I were asleep and... Um, I think Josh had just left and Mac was being loaded into an ambulance and, yeah, we got a phone call from Laura to say that the boys had been in an accident. I think that was around one or so in the morning um, by the time we were contacted. Um, I was actually sleeping in Mac's bed that night because Ben was snoring. (laughs) So I was a bit confused when Ben woke me up um, because he'd received the call. And, um, yeah, then obviously there was no more sleep. For the rest of the morning. We um we didn't get to talk to Mac until about oh three or so in the morning. Uh one of the police officers that were with Mac in hospital gave us a call off her mobile phone, and uh, which was
1: oh it was oh, so wow. lovely, yeah, to hear his voice. Uh, well Mac, how did you get to hospital? Okay, so your boss shows up. You must have been seriously relieved to have somebody on the scene. What did you ask for your boss to
0: do? Water, I was desperate for water because my mouth was so dry from all the bloody diesel through it and just oily and rake. But, yeah, I just, I remember just saying, oh, please give me some water right now. Um, But, yeah, I, I needed, I really wanted the weight lifted off my chest, obviously, so the boss was able to find the wallaby jack that I had in the back of the car that was flung, I don't know where it was, but it was nearby, and he... Jacked just the back. He jacked the tray up a tiny bit to just to relieve a little bit of pressure. I wanted him to try and get the whole car off, but luckily he was smart enough to know that when you've been trapped for a while, not to just release all the pressure. Yeah, I'd had I'd had circulation cut off to my legs the whole time, so it was very good that he didn't get me straight out.
1: Were you Were you in a lot of pain, Mac, or was the adrenaline still running and you were just you know? somewhere else
0: the only pain i could think of was in my back because i was sort of curled up like a prawn mm. my muscles were stretched very heavily in my back and i had a lot of tendon damage in there and i just remember fit fe- like it feeling so you know you stretch a muscle for a long time and it just gets that it's a bit of a sting yes. sort of feeling i suppose obviously after the ambulance got there they gave me a lot of blood thinners and hydrated me and all sorts of different things they gave me blood thinners because it's when I was obviously when they get me out of this car all my blood I haven't had oxygen for a long time and I think when your blood's that um heavily deoxygenated deoxy- that's a word <laughs> oxygenated <laughs> lacking oxygen, lacking oxygen yeah. your blood needs time to be reoxygenated. oxygenated
1: how did they get the car off you Mac
0: well they tried a few different things the volunteer fire brigade were awesome they Tried everything they could to do it as quickly and pain-free as they could, but I was put into a neck brace and was told to lay very still. Obviously, they're scared of spinal injuries, and they at first they tried to cut me out from the other side of the car, so I'd take the passenger door off and pull me straight out from underneath. But that didn't work. That was their first go. It wasn't going to happen. They ended up using the crane on the back of the firefighters. Uh, it was a Ute, I think it was a v8 land cruiser and um they just took a fair bit of weight off the of the car off me crane from my side of the vehicle and then cut just cut me out cut the door out pretty well and then was able to get me down and they had to unfold the seat it was sort of in between where my legs were yeah they unfolded the seat and got me straight out and then i, I grabbed the back of the car and tried to pull myself up because i thought you know i was just so happy to be free obviously full of adrenaline and pain medication and things and one of the doctors had to pin me down like force me to the ground and said oh don't you bloody move for god's sake Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah they got me up into the ambulance and we were on our way to Fitzroy Crossing and then obviously once I was there I was initially assessed and oh I can't really remember too much sorry I was on a lot of no. That's
1: okay. I, I suspect at that point all manner of painkillers and mm-hmm. shock and everything else was hitting you. But I, I have to ask, where was Josh? Did he come in the ambulance with you?
0: Yeah, I was going to say we were in separate separate ambulances, but we were together the whole time with all our um, transport and that. So I think I can't remember whether I was in front or behind him in the ambulance
1: Did they tell you how he was at all? Like, did you know if he was alive or...?
0: Yeah, I knew he was alive because he was murmuring and moving the whole through all of this and my boss was reassuring me that Josh was okay. I remember asking a lot, all the time, if he was all right. Uh, He had to be sedated because he was so disorientated from his head knock. Um, So when we, for all the time that I was conscious on the flights and travel and that, he... He was knocked out.
1: So you were his eyes and ears, even though you were pretty medicated. You, yeah, you got to tell him the story afterwards. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Were you and Josh wearing seatbelts or how did, how did it end up that he was flung and you ended up crushed underneath a car?
0: No, we hadn't. We stopped at the turn off to the dirt road for whatever reason. I can't recall, but we left our seatbelts off common practice in the bush.
1: So do you remember once you got to Fitzroy? So Fitzroy Crossing, is that where you ended up in hospital?
0: So there's a small hospital in Fitzroy Crossing. They've got very, very good facilities for such a small area. And, yeah, we were held there for, I'm not too sure, probably a few hours, um, and the Royal Flying Doctor Service aeroplane came and picked us up and took us to Broome. And then we got to fly. We were only in Broome for a short amount of time. You yeah, know, did a couple of scans and that sort of thing. But they were, you know, obviously very confident that I needed to get to Perth as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they put us onto one of the brand-new jets. I can't remember the model name, but I remember. PC-24,
1: the latest PC-24. Yeah. And that's pretty swish. Do you, do you remember that?
0: I do. I remember I couldn't see very well. I wasn't allowed to move, but I remember they turned the bed for me on the, on the runway out to the aeroplane so I could have a quick look at it. Yeah. Um, It was pretty, yeah, I thought it was pretty snazzy. Yeah, we were loaded up and then the crew were unbelievable. They were just anything I needed. I wasn't allowed to drink water because they knew I'd have to go in for surgery at some point, but they were very uh, lenient and nice and giving me little sips and rubbing water on my lips because I just remember them being so dry. I just wanted water desperately.
1: Did you at that point really understand the extent of your injuries, Mac?
0: No, I I was under the impression that I've had not experienced but heard a lot of stories about people with bad head injuries. So I expected to be out of hospital very quickly, but for Josh to have to stay for a long time. But no, I wasn't aware at all. I sort of wasn't in any significant pain and I just thought that I'd be flying to hospital and <laughs> I thought they were over
1: They'll patch me up and I'll be back out on my horse in no time.
0: Um, <laughs> but no, they I sort of wasn't expecting when they read out the injuries. Um, I definitely thought I was only going to be there temporarily.
1: Gotcha. All right, well, let's flip back to you, Sally. So you get the phone call, he's in the hospital, he's in Broome, he gets a whole bunch of scans, and did you know if he was going to be flown to Darwin or to Perth? Well, we've had a wish
2: list that uh, both the boys would come to Darwin, but um, uh, they honestly, going to Perth just made, made sense. Um, just with facilities and the nature of the boys' injuries. So we're very grateful, really, that they ended up at Royal Perth. I think it became apparent pretty quickly that they weren't great.
1: What were you told? Because at this time, you know, by now I'm hoping they've assessed them and, of course, you work for St John's, so I'm hoping that they're giving you a little bit more, you know, concrete information other than just, oh, by the way, your son's been in an accident. He's alive, but we're trying to figure it out.
2: We didn't feel too too bad, just knowing you know that we had the opportunity to talk to Mac. That was very reassuring. Mac did tell us his injuries. He doesn't remember. He, he probably said a lot of stuff that he doesn't remember. What did he say? <laughs> oh, he just he rattled off oh, a bunch of his injuries from all his broken ribs and um, yeah. But it wasn't until really that I got to Perth that um, I I. It really the gravity of, of the nature and the volume of his injuries really sort of came to fruition. So, yeah, he, uh, he didn't even know why I would bother coming to Perth. He's like, don't worry about it, Mum. No, you don't need to come. So, yeah, I, um, I know Josh's mum, Tammy, she got there. Uh, the boys' accident was Monday. Tammy was there Tuesday evening and I arrived uh, Wednesday.
1: Yeah, so, just, what did the doctors tell you? Would you tell me what that that long list of of uh, sustained injuries was? What did you end up being told? <laughs> so, both the boys
2: were in ICU um, at opposite ends. Uh, Josh, with his um, the head injury, had multiple a uh, lot of multiple very small bleeds all over uh, his brain. So, Joshy was still asleep at that point. They had him intubated, um, and Mac was awake, but. Yeah, just rubbed to the eyeballs. Um, their main concern at that point was the they call the rhabdomyelitis. His um, kidneys, luckily, had, had kicked back in and um, were doing the job on their own. Um, that the levels from that rhabdomyelitis were extremely high, so they were keep, keeping a really close eye on that. He um,
1: and that was because of the crush injury, right? Because of the his whole abdomen got crushed um,
2: by the car, like that that leg because um, it was stuck and the angle it was stuck on and, and no blood supply for so long. That was a big concern. Um, he didn't have a lot of sensation in that, that left leg at all and the size of it, it, was, it was quite enormous. But, you know, just young and fit, these things seemed to rectify. A lot of his injuries, those sorts of things rectify themselves. But uh, the list, I can never remember. He had um, uh, <laughs> a lot of fractures to his vertebrae. The main concern too there was L1, 2 and 3. So there were full fractures which um, had to be stabilised, so he went into surgery about day three, I think, of his hospital stay. Um, Malt, I think he ended up with about 11 fractured ribs. Uh, he dislocated his left shoulder, lots of muscle tears through all his abdomen, pneumothorax, I think both lungs, um, but they were small enough that they we time, they self-rectified. Does that mean punctured lungs? Is that what that means? Yeah. You can go with the rest
0: of the list, mate. I think I can explain it in a bit more yeah. English terms. <laughs> 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 I like to, when I tell people I like to go from head to toe.
1: Okay. Give us the list, head to toe.
0: And a big cut on the back of my head. Oh, I probably did need stitches, but it was sort of overlooked. It was hard to look at the back of my head, but it was all right. Um, I broke two of my cervical vertebrae in my neck. Um, I dislocated my left shoulder um, and injured my brachial plexus nerve, so nerves. I couldn't move my left hand very well or my left arm at all really. I tore all the tendons in the muscle belly of my left arm, in my forearm. Um, I broke 11 ribs, punctured both my lungs, ruptured my spleen, tore my liver. Both my kidneys failed, broke very, very mildly, broke my hip. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, obviously broke L1, 2 and 3 in my lower back. They had to be stabilised by pins and screws. I had all that, that rhabdomyloosis or whatever it's called. In both my legs, they were both very swollen and ended up losing almost all of my muscle mass in both legs, just from lack of blood to the muscles. And I dislocated and broke my left foot as well. Oh, left ankle, sorry.
1: Oh, my gosh. So how many surgeries did you end up having to have?
0: I had to go into um, theatre twice to relocate my ankle because it was so severely dislocated. And I just had the one surgery on my on my lower back to stabilise the spine.
2: Those internal injuries were... Um were sort of contained, I suppose, the the ruptures and whatnot, the lacerations um, of his organs, so that they were able just to look after themselves. So he didn't need any surgical intervention for for those injuries, which was very lucky.
1: Yeah. I I guess, you know, the question could be, you know, what happens if you take a a car and flip it over upside down and and stick a 21-year-old underneath it? What happens? And the answer is Mac. Um, Yeah. But were you in hospital for a really long time? Did it? How? What was recovery like uh, for you on that journey?
0: I think we're in Perth for just over three weeks, and then we were in Darwin for another week. But I was pretty lucky that my injuries were very treat from home. I had to go into hospital a fair bit, a couple of times a week mm. after we left hospital. But yeah, it was only really it was only really four solid weeks in hospital before I was allowed to go home.
1: Wow. And what about Josh? Where's he?
0: Josh, it was very similar time he was released from hospital. We were both transferred to Darwin at, at pretty well the same time. I think he was a couple of days after me. We were in close contact, but I <laughs> cannot remember.
2: <laughs> Lana, because of COVID, we were very keen to get home. So yeah. had we not pushed so hard and Royal per- Perth Hospital been so amazing to help us out. And we, of course, had our other three children here at home and had friends and family helping out and looking after the kids. We pushed really hard and, and um, were very, very fortunate to get home a lot sooner than what we would have had we chosen just to stay in the system in Perth. And um, the, both the boys were being transferred to Fiona Stanley for rehabilitation. Um, and that's what happened to Joshua. So Josh was transferred across to Fiona Stanley. Um, and yeah, we, we managed to avoid that and get Mac and um, Ben and I on a flight home absolutely sooner than what we would have had we stayed in Perth. He made it home before his birthday, turned 20. <laughs> <His quiet birthday. laughs>
1: so, Mac, um, how are you today? Like, have you managed to. Um, recover fully are you able to do mustering anymore are you able to ride a horse like how are you physically
0: after about or a little over six months i was cleared pretty well completely i was fully cleared to go back to work um i'd been on light duties for about a month and a half prior to that um i still have dramas with my back and unfortunately had to leave my job this year I was back contract mustering again over in the West. But, yes, had to leave just because I had lots of doctor's appointments and things to go to and was getting a fair bit of pain in my back riding a motorbike. But horses don't give me much trouble at all. I think you can sort of move with the animal a bit better than bouncing around on a motorbike.
2: Yeah. Josh has done really well. He's um, returned to uh, do the season with um, with the bosses that the boys when they had their accident accident, were employed by. So, yeah, Joshi's doing really well.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, Mac, do you have any, like, reflections or lessons learned as a result of what happened?
0: Yes, definitely. I would pay a bit more attention to driving uh, rather than being careless and reckless as you are when you're young. It's sort of been a little bit of a, not a blessing, but a, a, I definitely don't, I'd rather I didn't crash, but it's been good, a lot of lessons learned and I definitely don't take life for granted as much as I used to.
1: Would would you have any advice for anybody else that's a young adult that's out there mustering um, or working in remote areas? Would you have any advice for anybody like that?
0: I'd say have fun. It's the whole lifestyle of the job is, you know, having a good time and enjoying your work, but just know your limits and... Try not to push them too far, not that I push mine, but just be careful because your life can change so quickly. What can be a minor, I don't know, miscalculation can turn into a very serious accident.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Sally, do you think that that call that you received about your son, was that call... Worse than your regular day to day job triple zero calls, in that it was your own son and you didn't know, and he was so far away, and you had no way of being able to do anything about it. Yeah, that
2: absolutely, that um, that tyranny of distance, you know, up in um, the remote parts of the territory is something I think that a lot of people uh, don't really fathom until they're in that situation, you know, of, of time. I think that the knowledge that I have within the job that I do is probably a good thing, because um, it wasn't as diff- it was easy for me to understand what was going on, and I knew a process um, liaising with people such as RFDs that we do every day at work. It's um, and the amazing work that they do, and it's something that I, I I can reflect on when I take a call from a family member or a passerby just um take that little bit and it does it takes me back to Max accident only last week there was a very similar call and um I can just sit on the phone and, and relate to the other person that's that's on the end of that and um yeah reassure them as much as I can and and you know that helps on the way and we'll be doing everything within our power to assist them and yeah and get their family member to to medical assistance as soon as possible so Oh, it's not It's not, so I don't want another phone call like that, though, Lana. <laughs> I don't know what I can do to him. We can't wrap him in cotton wool.
1: There you go, Max. She just looked at you and said, I don't mm-hmm. want another call like that. Yeah. Maybe some advice to your younger siblings about if they're going to be out in these remote areas, some things not to do. Um, <laughs> just for your poor mum.
0: <laughs> I would just say be careful. Try not to be too carefree and look out for mum and dad's feelings.
1: There you go, that's the moral of the story Thank you both for talking to me Taking the time to talk to me And um, I really appreciate you telling the story No worries I wish you the very fast recovery, Max So that you can be out on those horses very quickly
0: Thank you very much I just um, wanted to say a massive thank you To all the RFDS staff That were so quick and helpful And unbelievable at their job And um, to all the emergency services and hospital staff that helped Josh and I so much and still helping me at the moment. Yeah, yeah it's not
2: over. I... There's um, there's another surgery for him within the next sort of while where I he'll get all the gear taken out of his back. So yeah, it's certainly not just that that one day, you know, that impact that it has on people's lives is well, I think it'll affect Macke Boy
1: for the rest of his life. When they get to my age I'm sure he'll be feeling it. I'm sure he will be. But in the meanwhile, he's going to be carefree but careful. Is that right? That's it.
0: Have fun, possibly. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Thank, Thank you, Lana. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with family and friends. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also join our new Facebook group called the Flying Doctor Podcast Community, where you can chat to other listeners. And please do try out our new podcast hotline, you can call and leave an audio message with questions and feedback on the podcast. The number for the hotline is 0284057928. We look forward to hearing from you. The Flying Doctor podcast was presented by me, Lana Bitchell, and senior producer is Mandy Cullen. Before I head off, I just want to thank one last time, our sponsor and major national partner, Izuzu Ute Australia. Izuzu is committed to supporting the communities in which the RFDS operates and this podcast would not be possible without their support. To learn more, search Izuzu Ute online.